Warner Brothers Discovery finally unveiled Max this week, but it seems more min as in minimum to us. And can Google TV catch up to Roku domestically? Listen on to learn more. this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News. And of course, that was Colin Dixon from InScreen Media at the beginning there. Hey, Colin, how is everything going? It's going great, Will. Really uh, busy week in, in our industry this week. Been keeping an eye on lots of news items going on. And we're going to talk about some of those this week, right? We are. And uh, I'll just mention a quick programming note that today I announced our next, uh, Video News is next, Connected TV Advertising Summit, our fourth annual. That's going to be on June 8th and really excited about that. Have a lot of great responses so far. So lots to talk about in Connected TV Advertising land. And I think we're going to actually touch on some of that in today's podcast, right? You are going to get us started. I'm pretty sure it's going to come up, Will. So yeah, I'm going to get started with my news item and... (laughs) You know, this is one of those things that we've kind of got to mention. uh, That is, we had the big press conference this week from Warner Brothers Discovery. And they have officially given us the name of the combined HBO Max Discovery Plus app. It is Max. No surprise there. I think it was already pretty well leaked that that was what we were going to get. We were going to get Max. Its tagline is the one to watch. And uh, boy, in that in that presentation, they kept harping on the fact that this is what they wanted to do with Max. They wanted to make it a family product that everybody can find something in, and uh, and they they really that so that that was the really big focus. Um, and in fact, I was interested to hear JB Perret, who's the president and CEO of Global Global Streaming and Games. He said. So in this era of peak confusion, we are trying to simplify and focus on quality, not just quantity. So just a couple, I'll give a couple of the top points there, Will. Uh, I guess most interesting is they've officially announced the pricing and you should be very happy if you're an HBO Max subscriber because you're going to get a bunch of discovery content with no price increase unless... But I'll get to the unless in a sec. The entry-level price is $9.99 a month with ad light. $15.99 a month gets you ad-free. And they've added this new ultimate tier, which they're selling for $19.99 a month. The biggest difference between the $15.99 and $19.99 is Ultra HD. If you sign up at, at $15.99, you can watch in HD, not Ultra HD. You have to spend more to get that. You have to get. You have to upgrade to the ultimate package. And there's a couple of other differences. You can download more shows. I think you can download a hundred a month, and there's more concurrent streams available in that tier as well. And if you're an existing HBO Max subscriber, you will be smoothly converted to Max on May 23rd when the product officially releases and you will be able to keep Ultra HD access at least for a while. They didn't say exactly for how long but they did say at least for a while HBO Max subscribers will be able to keep Ultra HD access. A ton of content is coming 
And uh, if you are a Discovery Plus subscriber, I'd be a little nervous because they are repurposing stuff that was originally targeted for the Discovery Plus and making it for Max. In particular, I think there was something from Joanna and Chip Gaines, Magnolia. They're doing a show called Fixer Up at the Hotel from, um, and they're doing that for Max. And you'll find Property Brothers, Bobby Flay, Barefoot Contesta, Contessa, and a whole bunch of others, I'm guessing, in Max too. So, I don't know. It didn't strike me as changing my opinion. I, I actually cancelled HBO Max a couple of months ago because I really wasn't using it that much. And this doesn't make me want to subscribe more. So, Will, are you excited to get all that discovery content inside of Max? Yeah, let me just recap quickly my takeaways and try not to uh, to check my sarcastic tone at the door here for a second. To recap, HBO, the brand, one of the most known and beloved brands in the world, which still adorns hotel and motel marquees all over the country, if not world, that brand demoted, no longer in the title. It's now called Max. Huge marketing dollars required now to promote brand new brand called Max. No price increase for HBO Max subscribers to now get the full complement of Discovery Plus content. So all that basically Discovery content valued at zero, just included thrown in with Max for HBO Max subscribers. Yet to be seen whether any of this actually drives any incremental subscribers to Max over and above what HBO Max had on its own and Discovery Plus had it on its own. So, uh, you know, short answer for me is none of this makes any sense. And if I were a stockholder, I would be asking very seriously, how does any of this create any new value for me? Did I miss anything? <laughs> nope. And, and I asked the same question, Will. I didn't see how this helps uh, Warner Brothers Discovery at all with that mountain of debt they have. <laughs> All I can say is it better ignite a huge growth in subscribers and it better do what they said, which is they claim that it will reduce churn, increase customer lifetime value, uh, and in that way, that will boost revenue and profitability of the service. Uh, I looked at the interface changes that they made and uh, I didn't think that they were that big a deal. I wasn't convinced that they would make that big a difference in churn and in um, and in customer lifetime value but they did go on and on about how long uh, how low churn was on discovery plus and how long people stuck around on that platform uh, and they're bringing they say they're bringing the, that learning into max but i don't know i i'm not a believer either will <laughs> i even thought that they were gonna crank up the ad load for ad for ad viewers but they're still using that ad light mantra there's still a little bit of wiggle room there they could bump by two minutes because i think it's only four minute ad load and i would expect them to do that but it doesn't i do not see the big revenue win it's interesting when you talk about the user experience because now with max as the umbrella brand it means if you follow if they follow give or take how Disney has displayed the various brands in the Disney Plus uh, UI. So there's, you know, the Disney branded content, the National Geographic branded content, the Marvel branded content, the National Geographic, etc. Then 
I think what we're basically looking at is that discovery content is now going to be elevated to be on a par with HBO content or, you know, looked at another way, HBO content, the HBO brand is being demoted to be on the same par as discovery content. And I mean, I mean, no offense whatsoever to Chip and Joanna, but I just don't really see them in the same grouping with, you know, Game of Thrones, Sopranos, Sex in the City, you know, the list goes on and on and on. I just yeah, don't yeah. quite understand how anybody could see that those two brands sitting on the same level. But, you know, I give you credit, Colin, because you pointed this out whenever it was months and months and months ago, the incongruity here. And yeah. uh, it's no better now. I think if anything, it's worse because we've actually yeah. seen the full plan. It's not just speculation anymore. It's it's the actual thing is here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I think I, I did see I, I can't be sure of this because the the display that they showed of the interface flitted by quite quickly and it was kind of distant to see. But I think HBO has its own separate menu item oh. on the top menu. Oh. Hooray. What a thrill. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> but you're totally right. I... I just I don't get it. Why would you walk away? from such a powerful brand and you know they're, 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 they're the reason they say this will is they're saying it's not a family brand they want a more encompassing brand to produce more content all right that they, they want that and great they've got what they need now they've got a whole new brand that they have to establish in people's minds but you know what i think we've probably beaten this this drum enough <laughs> i so, agree let's move on why don't we move on to your news item? Yeah, my news item this week is that YouTube announced the pricing for Sunday Ticket, which, as we know, was a big deal for them that they struck a few months ago. They announced the pricing. And it's a little bit up and down from the DirecTV pricing. It's, it's actually, uh, if you sign up early, it's actually a little bit better deal than it was through DirecTV. 249 versus the 295 DirecTV was asking, but then the deal goes away. And this, by the way, is only for YouTube TV subscribers. Then the deal goes away and it goes up 100. So it's actually plus 55 uh, compared to what the DirecTV price was. Then over in the non-YouTube TV subscriber realm, if you're buying it through their channels product, primetime channels, then it goes up another hundred, so then it becomes three forty nine on deal preseason and four forty nine full price. So there, uh, you know, I think that pricing strategy makes a ton of sense. They're being a little more aggressive, going to pull in a bunch of folks who are YouTube TV subscribers. They save fifty, and then after that, they're going to be slightly above if you're YouTube TV, and even further above if you're not YouTube TV. So I, I like the numbers. And as we talked about when they signed the deal, I, I like the deal a lot. I, I think it makes a ton of sense for Google and YouTube. And I, you know, without kind of speculating too much, I would believe that or have to believe that they are going to expand the number of Sunday ticket subscribers well beyond what the number was with DirecTV. 
Well, they've certainly got the marketing muscle to do it, Will. And the great thing about this, the, the deal for them, is they're not restricted to the 5 million YouTube TV um, YouTube. YouTube TV subscribers. Um, that was, I think, a, one of the biggest problems for DirecTV was that they really couldn't sell outside their footprint. Now YouTube can sell to everybody. And I think that that alone will give them a lift and, and, and quite a sizable lift. I do worry, though, because they're spending a lot. I think it's a, a billion dollars a year, basically, for these rights. DirecTV walked away from the deal because they couldn't. They didn't feel that they could make money in the footprint that they have, which I think is now down. Oh well, we don't know for sure, but I think it's down in the thirteen million range, something like like that. Uh, so they're going to need to attract a lot more subscribers to that package, will if they're going to be uh, if they're going to be successful. I think they'll do it. I mean, I don't. I don't know what they need to break even or be successful, but. I agree with your point. I mean, the addressable market for them by unbundling it and making it an OTT service is a multiple, multiple of what DirecTV had. And that alone, I mean, if they can penetrate it the same level, that alone guarantees a lift. And I think they'll penetrate at a higher level within their sub base on a percentage basis, which is probably yeah. a third of what DirecTV's is. So that has to be accounted for. But again, all those people can just take the OTT service, so it doesn't matter. Or they'll switch to, you know, I mean, this is, in another angle, bad news for DirecTV because you have to believe that some portion of Sunday Ticket subscribers on DirecTV will now migrate over to YouTube TV, if for no other reason than just to save themselves the money on the direct on the Sunday Ticket package, right? Because you get a break, you get $100 off if you're a YouTube... TV subscribers. So I, I think DirecTV takes a hit out of all this as well, although who, who knows what. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Anyway, I think we should probably move on to our main story, Will. And that we want to talk about an announcement by Google TV this week. And they announced that they have added a whole bunch of fast linear channels to the service. Now, the way you got Google TV before was you could add Pluto TV, for example, and you could you, that would show up in Google TV's live guide. It actually has a live grid guide, so you can go in there and find channels. Um, but it was unpopulated until you added Pluto TV or, or another service like Sling TV. I think Sling TV was also integrated well. That's all changed. You can still get Pluto TV and Sling TV. They are still pre-integrated there. Google TV has announced that they are adding a whole bunch of their own channels to the live guide. And they're also announcing the integration of Plex, Tubi and Haystack News into that guide. You have to load the apps just like you have to load the apps for Pluto TV and for Sling TV today. But once you add the apps and log in, they they show up in the live guide. So you, that's all you that's all you need to do to start to watch those. Um, so this is great for if you buy your Google TV, you now have a whole bunch of channels that are automatically built in. You don't have to do anything. They'll just be there. And probably the live, the fast service that you're most in love with, you can just load that app, whether it be Plex, Tubi, 
or Pluto TV, you can load that and it will also show up in the live guide. The channels that it provides will show up in the live guide. So that sort of brings the number of channels available in that guide to 800, which is a pretty remarkable number. But that's that I think is a really big boon. And I tell you who I think will be really pleased about that, Will, and that's Google TV's partners, the people that have licensed that OS to run their television, like um, Sony, for example, and Hisense, and a whole bunch of others. The problem that they have is those TVs don't come with built-in channels, whereas all most of the other OSs that they use do come with built-in channels. So you buy a Samsung TV, you get a whole bunch of built-in channels there. LG is the same, Roku is the same. So now this puts Google TV on a par with those for the TV manufacturers. They have something that's as competitive with Google TV as all the rest. So I think this is a really positive move for Google TV and something that they absolutely should have done. So uh, yeah, I think it's all to the good. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I certainly agree that better navigation and discovery is all a positive for users and certainly a positive for um, for Google. Uh, the only catch in all this, unfortunately, is that virtually nobody uses Google TV in the U.S. at least. Um, that's different internationally. But in the U.S., I'm looking at numbers now from Beachfront, which just last week re uh, reported some really cool data from its second half 2022 impressions report. And uh, Google TV, according again now to Beachfront, has a whopping 1.94% market share of impressions in the U.S. And that compares with 39.2% from Roku and even 20% uh, share for conventional set-top boxes. So the U.S. numbers, Roku has been remarkably durable for a long time now. Uh, virtually every report I've seen always has Roku accounting for somewhere between 30, 40, 45% uh, market share of devices or impressions on the ad side. And the beachfront report is right there in line. Uh, STV next at 19, Fire TV at 15, Samsung at 14, LG at 4, all the way down to Google TV at 1.94%. So, you know, I think the Google licensing into all these different OEMs is going to help their cause. And internationally, which you're going to speak to here in a second, things are definitely quite a bit different. But you know, in the U.S., Roku dominates, and I don't necessarily think that a, you know, better uh, fast guide is going to move the needle that significantly, especially because Roku's doing a lot of the same stuff, and, and they'll do even more going forward. I mean, fast is a battleground, and everybody's going to improve their UX when it comes to fast navigation. So, uh, I don't know. Do you see it differently, or are you focused mainly on international opportunities for this, or...? So, well, certainly, well, let's talk about international first. Um, so, the, yeah, you're right, Will. The, I was looking at some data from Conviva uh, for 2022, and basically the only market in which Roku appears when looked at 
um, when you look at premium streaming time, premium uh, video streaming time, the only market in which Roku appears in the top 10 is in North America. And it is very far in the lead there. Uh, 32%, 33%, 20%, uh, 14%, 15% for Fire TV. And uh, as you say, Google TV, Android TV, not really a big factor in the US market. But that is not true anywhere else. That is the only market where Roku appears in the top five. It, it is not in the top five everywhere else. Whereas Android TV and its derivatives do appear in the top five everywhere else. It's number two in Asia, number three in Europe. It's number one in Oceania and number two in LATAM. So that is a really big problem, I think, going forward. And, and that really does give Android TV, Google TV, I think, a really big, a big advantage because uh, I assume that it's going to bring this approach to all markets. And we're really talking here about uh, it's really trending towards a smart TV market and away from the device as well. And that's where I think these these channels will really help because it helps reinforce the value of the smart TVs that Google TV is on. And it's, uh, they're very, very active in all other markets. Um, they're also, and I'm actually, I'm a little bit more optimistic about what will happen in the US market, Will. And here's why. Google has actually been, I won't say removing partners, but it's been signing up Roku partners for smart TVs. So, for example, um, Hisense, who was a close Roku partner when it first launched in the US for its smart TVs. The last two CESs, as far as I can tell, have not has not introduced a single new Roku TV. All its new TVs are powered by Google TV. So, that and that's a dynamic I think that's really starting to have an impact and I'm I'm pretty convinced that Google TV is going to see growth in the North American market purely and simply because it's on a lot of TVs now maybe not as many as Roku still but still on a lot of very strong branded TVs my Sony TV is powered by Google TV and uh, runs it runs extremely well so i think even in the US i would expect to see things look a little brighter for Google TV, particularly with the integration of the fast channels, which I think was an essential component that they were missing. Uh, I think there's that. But there is one other aspect that I want to bring here, bring in here, and I want to pull back just a little bit and look at Google's, um, Google's assault on the TV uh, just more broadly. And I want to bring in YouTube, YouTube here. I think... This is a very smart play by, by Google. They have Google TV running the devices, they, but they also have a play on devices that don't use Google TV. On basically every smart TV, every smart TV device, a connected TV device, has to have YouTube. And YouTube is morphing into you know, the one-stop shop, the place where people go when they want to watch television. They're already driving a lot of viewership, so there's there's that. 
but the other thing is that they've started to bring in premium content. They've been licensing premium content for YouTube for quite a while, but they also introduced this, this channels, um, YouTube channels feature where you can subscribe to other SVOD services and manage those subscriptions and pay for them through your whatever credit cards you have registered with Google and, and YouTube. So you can now come to one place and combine your YouTube TV viewing and your premium viewing. And of course, there's also YouTube TV, which is integrated in with this experience too. So I think with when you look at it that way, you've got Google TV for the device, you've got YouTube and YouTube TV. Whichever TV operating system you are, Google is winning, but they're really winning if you pick a Google TV powered device because then they don't have to share any of the revenue with, with anybody that they may be deriving from YouTube, although I'm not exactly sure how much money, say, a Roku is making from YouTube or YouTube TV running on its devices. But anyway, so I think that that's a... If you look at Google's overall play for the television, it's it's really strong now when you look at Google TV and YouTube. The two of them together are just a really strong double whammy. Yeah, well, look, uh, nobody's going to argue that Google doesn't bring significant assets to this market. We just talked about Sunday Night Ticket. Uh, you've enumerated all the other things that they do well. There's absolutely no question. At the same time, I do think a few things to maybe keep this all in perspective a little bit. Um, almost a year ago now, and we'll get the new report, I'm sure, within the next couple of months from Bruce Leishman. About a year ago, they were 87% of U.S. homes had some type of a connected device. And Bruce uh, suggested that that means perhaps 500 million devices now, smart TV or CTV devices in the U.S. So I guess one question I would ask is, what is the total number of CTV devices in rest of the world? Is it 500 million, less than 500 million, more than 500 million? Because there's no question the U.S. is by far, by far the biggest market for yeah. CTVs. But is rest of the world still at 200 million, 300 million? So I, I, read, um, I read a report this week that basically said there were just over a billion connected TV and smart TV devices in the world. Oh, so, so half. So rest of the world is half and the U.S. is yeah. the other half. So, yeah. uh, and, you know, it's probably fair to say that rest of the world has a lot more growth ahead of it than U.S. because we're further down the adoption curve. So, you know, I think from that perspective, likely to believe that Google has market share to pick up. Certainly internationally, it's going to grow, but probably also going to pick up some points here in the U.S., Having said that, I am actually, I, I'm, you know, and this is just based on historical performance. I, I'm more bullish on Roku than you are and less bullish on Google than you are. Uh, Roku has proved the naysayers wrong every step of the way for the last 10 plus years. There have been countless, countless, countless people who have said that Roku could not compete in the land of the giants. Amazon, Google, Apple could not compete, period, end of story. They have competed well. The device business is, of course, now under huge pressure. 
but the ad business is doing great. They're a clear innovator, arguably the leader in terms of advertising innovation. And I've had, and you've moderated sessions at my conferences with uh, Roku executives that tangibly demonstrate new innovations that they bring to the ad market that clients are adopting. And I still go back to what Anthony Wood said to me when I interviewed him at Nappy in Miami probably over 10 years ago, which I believe is not just true for Roku, but true for all companies that specialize, which is Anthony said, all of our team, every single person who comes into a Roku office or fires up their computer remotely every morning is focused on only one thing, which is optimizing the user's smart TV experience and the advertiser's experience. When you go to Google or Apple or Amazon or anywhere else, they have 10,000 other agendas at work. Every one of those that is getting a serious push by some group of executives. And if connected TV or smart TV or advertising does not uh, outweigh in terms of the prioritization of other things, then that gets pushed down the list. Roku, it's either we succeed with smart TV or we're out of business. And I think that mm -hmm. really keeps them focused. And I think they've done a really, really strong job of keeping that focus and growing that ad business. And I just, I, I, you know, look, I don't, my crystal ball is not better than anybody else's. I'm just done counting out Roku. I am just done. I never counted them out. I never believed what anybody had to say on this because Anthony's an incredible executive and Scott Rosenberg is an, was an incredible executive now and no longer there. They have a very deep bench of talent there. Uh, many of whom I know are very talented, very dedicated, very focused. I don't know. I mean, Google has more money than anybody except for Amazon and Apple, but I just, I, I'm, my money's still with Roku to hold their own here. I would certainly characterize myself as a Roku fan as well, Will. I certainly am not counting them out at all in the US market. That would be foolish. They're in a dominant position. And uh, I suspect that they'll continue to be very successful going forward. Uh, but even Anthony recognized the fact that, that they're probably, even, even if there is massive consolidation, that it will come down to not just one, but two or three. And what I'm saying here, I think, is that Google does have an opportunity in the US market to be in that two or three, and a much better opportunity in the international markets to be two or three or one, or number one, as it, as it is in some of those regions. The problem for Roku is that they're really not anywhere in those markets. They are participating and they are, I know, I know that they're signing deals with television manufacturers for the Roku OS there, but they're really far, far behind. One of their principal advantages in the US market is first mover advantage, and they've taken full advantage of it and executed one of the most spectacular pivots in their business of any company I've ever seen. They've switched from hardware to uh, a services-based business, which is really focused on advertising. So that's, that's to be applauded. And I think that they stand a very, very good chance of being able to maintain that advantage in the US market. I just don't see the, it's really tough in the rest of the world. There's a lot of people playing in this market. 
Um, well, now we talked to TiVo about their launching a TiVo OS in Europe. Um, now, do I think TiVo can be successful in the US? Well, probably not. They don't have the same advantage that Roku had at the start, and there's so many people participating. But is there an opportunity in Europe? I think there is, and they're going pretty strongly in there. So, you know, I, I certainly would never count Roku out. They're doing a great job and continue to execute extremely well, particularly with the advertising community, which should continue to draw advertising dollars there. That said, I think there's a great opportunity for Google even here. And particularly in Europe, there's a much, much bigger opportunity in Europe and the rest of the world, I think, for, for them to continue to grow. And in fact, it was S&P Global Markets uh, who, who said that there were a billion devices. They actually said that last year, Google did grow its share. Um, actually, it's Android TV, though. Let's be specific. It's Android TV uh, that's growing. And they said they it, it had grown 2.1%. It's grown its share by 2.1% in the last year. So it's doing well in, in international markets, and I expect it to to grab more share here in the US too. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a completely fair point to wonder why Roku's international expansion has not been more aggressive. They opened their Amsterdam office about a year and a half ago. They've been cautious internationally. I have not talked to them about that. My only guess is that they knew slash know how difficult it is to make money in CE. And, you know, obviously the economy has gone into a tailspin. Their negative gross margin now on devices here in domestically. And they just figured, hey, let's limit our losses and not start losing money all over the world if we can avoid it. So they were more cautious. But I think you do raise the, you know, relevant question of what becomes of a CE company that is primarily domestic? Is there a place for such a company? And do you need to have global scale like we've seen in mobile devices between Apple and Android? And I think it's a very legitimate question, and, and I don't have a great answer for that, for sure, other than to think that somewhere not that distant on the horizon, there's a, some type of consolidation in the market. I, I don't really know. I'm, that, that I have no idea of, but, but it is a very good point that, that you raise, and, and it's an unknown, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that said, Roku's built a pretty decent $3 billion business in the U.S. doing, doing what it's doing, and it continues to grow. So, you know, maybe it can continue to do well. I notice ARPU is continuing to grow up 1.6%, I think, in Q4 2022 over Q4 2021. Uh, that's actually the lowest increase I've seen in their ARPU in quite a while. So they're continuing to grow. They're continuing to boost the value of the advertising solution that they offer to advertisers. So I continue to... I, I, think we'll still see revenue growth and still see active user growth with Roku in yeah. the US uh, well, for, for some time to come. Uh, but I think we'll also see that with, with Google TV too. Absolutely. These are not mutually exclusive. And the good news is yep. that the pie is growing for everybody. That's going to be a main theme at the June 8th CTV Ad Summit is the pie continues to grow. The opportunity is massive. Really, the primary questions at this point are which companies are going to get which slices of that massive pie and why? Why are those, why are certain companies gonna get a bigger slice than others? 
And that's what we're really going to try to dig into on June 8th. Um, Meanwhile, I'm heading to the new fronts in a week and a half, going to be hanging around there and learning a bunch of things from a bunch of people, including the Roku new front presentation. So I'm excited about that. I think it's going to be chock full of innovations everywhere. And the CTV industry continues to move from upper funnel, reach and frequency objectives, linear extension, to full funnel, lower funnel. I think that's going to be a key theme throughout all yeah, the new front yeah. presentations, and it's going to be very cool to watch unfold. Yeah. And I will be at NAB Monday and Tuesday next week. Man, have I got a packed schedule. So maybe next unless next week's podcast, I can share some of the things I saw at NAB. I'm talking to a lot of people while I'm there. If you see me rushing through the things, flag me down and say hi. Okie doke. I think that's it for us, Colin. Have a great trip to Vegas. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News. All rights reserved.